it's an incredible space that's growing and there's lots of consolidation happening, but in the sense that because it's growing so much, PE's coming in and wanting to buy up companies. And so what I learned was private equity was super involved in the space, not just in franchising, but just in restoration in general. If you look at the average age of a home and you look at our infrastructure overall, homes, you know, when you think of a water incident, you know, there's 14,000 water issues a day, every single day. And the average ticket of a water, you know, incident is about $2,700, about $3,000 per incident. And so when I looked at that, you know, you don't realize that because you don't see it. If there's a fire, at least there's a fire truck and, you know, it's in front of you. But with a plumbing issue or septic issue, someone's basement floods, that's not front and center to us, right? It's a thing that's happening every day, but people don't realize. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. Excited to get into this topic. Today is a solo episode with just me, your host, Dan Claps. And I appreciate you tuning into this episode. In the 50, almost 60 episodes that we've done on the Franchise Founders Podcast, I don't think we've ever promoted our own business or our own you know, services. And that's not really my goal here, but more so to put an episode together that talks about Franchise Playbook, the company that I just recently launched. Some announcements at the time of this recording have gone out. And I wanted to just touch on to our listeners who listen to us with talking with many franchise founders and franchisees and franchise suppliers about what I'm doing next in my venture or next in my career in the franchise industry and overall as an entrepreneur and business leader. So I wanted to just kind of talk about what is Franchise Playbook. I've been promoting it a bit on social media. If you follow you know, my LinkedIn or any of my social. And since we launched on Monday, I feel the timing of this now is great that we can talk about what we're doing. So Franchise Playbook, the idea of the business has been in my mind for years. I've wanted to be a franchisor pretty much my whole career of in franchising, right? If you know my story, I got into the franchise industry at the age of 22 years old, started off as a franchise consultant, franchise broker, and then went on to form a lead generation company for franchise consultants that had a tremendous reputation that grew to a pretty you know multi-million dollar organization. And then I exited to PE. But the whole time I was doing that business, I was interacting with franchisors, some that were my age, some that were older, some that were just a bit older, people that were all different walks of life. And as I was helping so many people become a business owner, in my days as a franchise consultant, people would say to me, you know, Dan, like, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for finding me this business. You know, I'm moving forward. How do we keep working together? And my answer was like, look, you can call me anytime. We can continue to have a conversation. But from a business standpoint, there's really nothing more for me to do to help, right? Other than looking at buying other businesses, that's really all I was able to provide. Other than maybe business coaching. But I used to say like, look, you just bought a franchise. You don't really need me, right? You know, so I never liked the fact that as a franchise consultant, I would 
work with a client becomes super close. I can't think of a person that's bought a franchise from me that I couldn't have dinner at their home with their family or vice versa. And so like I would build this deep relationship and then feel like there wasn't anything for me to do with them long-term. And I used to think like, I don't want to just date my client. I want to marry them. Right? I want to work with them for the long-term. And so over the years, I evaluated all kinds of franchise opportunities. As a consultant, I was always looking at what business I would be a franchisor of. A lot of consultants are thinking about, you know, being a franchisee, which business that I keep awarding to candidates would be right for me to purchase. But I've always known that I wouldn't be the greatest franchisee just for my desire to build systems and to build things out of scratch. My lack of ability maybe to always follow directions as well as one would want. And that's just being self-aware, right? Like I wouldn't be a great franchisee because I'm not able to follow systems the same way. Maybe I could be a passive investor, you know, later in life invest into one. But for me, for my main business, I need to be creating systems and going out into the unknown and really being a visionary. And so I always was thinking about what business would I franchise? And as the time went on, I began to fall in love with home services. Absolutely fell in love. Whether it's roofing, plumbing, painting, drywall, really everything in that space. Because what I learned about home services, as many in our space know, is home services is essentially a marketing and sales engine that happens to sell that home service. The home service that they sell is somewhat a widget, right? So if you think about a great home service business, their professional experience, they're working inside of an industry where typically it's a guy in a truck, maybe not as organized, sophisticated, perhaps not showing up on time or being polite and professional. Not all, of course, but some. And so I love the fact that in home services, the barrier of entry is low, meaning your competition is very easy to outperform. The fact that there really is not still enough of a professionalized service in home services. The only professional experience I've had in home services is when they are franchise. And even then I found that there's times that it wasn't up to the standard I felt like I could have. And so like looking at the fact that the industry is such a tremendously large industry growing year over year from just the home services space overall, you look at the trends in the market of home ownership and the amount of homes in America and the amount of homes that need to be serviced and the average age of a home that needs to be serviced. I just felt like the industry in itself was so stable. And I loved, again, that it was an industry that could be sales and marketing driven, which is really my major skill set and passion. And then what I didn't know as I started to really look into home services was that I love working with the technicians, the people that are doing the work, good people that are coming into the business, going out and doing that trade, providing them a home where they can have a professional work experience, right? So it's not just the customers that I wanted to begin to start to provide a professional experience. I wanted the people that the company hired could have a more professional work environment through a franchise or company through the franchisees that hire them using our systems. And so for me, this started to really get my mind ticking on home services. And so I knew in September of 2022, this past year, I knew that I wanted to go into being a franchisor and I knew that I wanted to go into home services. The next step was identifying the industry that I wanted to go into. And I narrowed it down, but the next step for me really was building a team. I knew I wanted to form a home services franchisor but I knew that I knew a lot about FranDev and I knew a lot about 
running a company overall. What I didn't know was how to be a franchisor. I've never been a franchisor. So I needed to find a partner that could run the franchisor to the level that I knew I wasn't able to and didn't know how to, frankly. And so through, you know, an event in franchising called Springboard, which is a great event for franchise professionals, Springboard, it takes place in the fall every year, hosted by Lane Fisher and Brad Fishman and their companies and families. That event, I was talking to a friend of mine, Aaron Harper, who you sometimes hear me reference. And he said, you know, you should talk to Zach Nolte, who Zach is someone I've known for years. And we've always had a great relationship and just a friendship, like just chatted at conferences, always met each other, did some podcasts. And I always felt like, man, there's something with us that I feel like there's a connection or there's something here, but I never really thought about it and was busy building my business and he was busy building his. But when we started talking, Zach at that time was the president of Kitchen Solvers, a kitchen remodeling franchise, very successful company that he ran very well and it continues to run very well, that company. Anyway, he alluded to me that, you know, look, I'm ready to really build something. And as we started having these long hour and a half, two hour phone calls on some weekends and nights, like we started to realize like our core values and our vision for a company really started to align. And most importantly, that we could draw a line in the sand. He was like, you deal with Fran Dev. I don't want to deal with it. You do ops. And I'm saying that in a facetious way, but you know, his skill set was ops. Mine was Fran Dev. And I said, I don't know how to run a franchise or I'll stay out of that. And we drew a line in the sand, which really, in my opinion, makes a partnership work, right? When the expectations and the roles and responsibilities are defined, clearly communicated, written out, agreed to, signed off on, right? Like everything has to be agreed on. And that was what made me feel like our relationship could work so well because we both had these parallel skill sets and areas that we enjoyed doing in the business that could complement each other. So after that, we set out to start a home service business, but we quickly realized that a platform, while sounding audacious of a goal, actually in many ways is easier to build than the one system franchisor. Shared resources, you're able to track a different caliber of people that want to build that bigger vision. There's more opportunity to grow. If you want to get financing, it's easier as a platform. The private equity firms like the platforms. And there's a whole plethora of reasons why, but building one from scratch and understanding what's working and what isn't working and being able to do it as a nimble entrepreneur, able to take a lot more risk and really just able to do things a little bit differently made that idea start to make a lot more sense. And so we started to structure the business and create our projections and performers and our overall ethos of the business. And we realized that we could build a mobile service platform. People get a little confused by that. What I mean by mobile service is anything with a truck, car, or van that goes to a mobile location. Now, many of those services are at the home, such as plumbing or roofing or kitchen, you know, remodeling, anything at the home. But there's other businesses like car detailing. Sometimes there's businesses that are mobile, but that have an office. And so we look at anything that a sales team is able to go to a remote location or a call center can schedule an appointment to a remote location and then go to that location and provide a service and utilizing, you know, a truck, van, or car. And so we knew that that's what we wanted to build. And the next thing was really looking at the unique selling proposition in the marketplace. You know, there's a lot of fantastic home service platforms. What's amazing about the space is it's like a $500 billion yearly industry home services. It's like 
there's so much opportunity. You could have a little sliver and have just like, it doesn't matter. Like that's the thing. Like people don't really, I think always grasp when people want to buy a business or get into a business, they think of like, how much money am I going to make? How am I going to get customers? How am I going to get employees? And why is this business going to work in my market? There's already businesses in my market. And when I looked at the franchise landscape, I knew that there's a lot in our little microcosm, this little tiny world of franchising where it feels like there's so many people. It's so big. It's not. It's a small group of people, collection of people in the sense of the market share of, you know, the nation and North America. And so I knew that getting into home service, there's plenty of blue ocean, plenty of market share and plenty of candidates still like people that wanted to buy a business. There's so many that need a home service business with prime territory available with cutting edge technology, with the right training and programs and facility and franchisee focused. And really, again, a business where the market is available, right? And so I knew that we could get into the platform and have plenty of opportunity. So next was deciding on an industry to go into. And that is a whole other conversation. I can give anyone advice on choosing an industry in the home services space, because I must have looked at like a hundred businesses. I mean, every day I'd be on Zoom with nothing else to do, but talk to businesses, resales, go on biz by sell and look at, you know, existing businesses talking to every business broker there was. They all thought I was probably like kicking tires because I just kept looking, you know, at every single business and trying to explain my vision. And they thought I was like a crazy person. And, you know, usually if you have a vision, people think you're hallucinating until you do it. And then everybody knew you're going to do it, right? That's how it goes. But anyway, as I looked at industries, I started to create this playbook. And the playbook was really me just writing out a checklist of what I wanted in a business. And some examples of that were recession resistant, something that did not get harmed during COVID, a business that was low barrier of entry, meaning low investment, a business like you open for, you know, under a couple hundred thousand dollars, a business that you didn't have to have some large personally guaranteed retail space that if something goes wrong, you have a giant lease that you're on the hook for. Wanted a business that was easy to open that the employees you hire were not a special trade, like something where you need like a license or you weren't able to get into that business. Anyone could do the service basically if they're trained well and they have a good attitude. I wanted a business that was, you know, somewhat semi-absentee. And I use that word semi-absentee loosely because I think that it's a misconception. Semi-absentee means to me working on the business from afar. Doesn't mean you're not working a ton of hours. Doesn't mean you can't have a job and still do the business, but expect to hustle on the weekends and the nights and in the mornings. And you should have a job that, you know, you can break away from. And so semi-absentee to me is there's no such thing as semi-absentee until you have a certain amount of capital that you can deploy toward having a really solid management team. Even at that point, I think you should be involved, at least from the back end, managing the money and the operations. But anyway, a business that was mostly semi-absentee. I wanted a business that the marketplace was expanding. I wanted a business where Amazon couldn't come in to that place, that market and disrupt it. Now, granted, there's a study that Amazon could like make three moves and get into any industry pretty quickly, but I don't think they're going into this industry anytime soon. And I wanted something that really economically, again, would thrive, whether it was a down economic time or an up, it wouldn't matter. It was a spend that you have to do. And again, a need, not a want. And so after going through all of those checkboxes of a list. That's a long list. And I have more to it. You did a business with at least a million dollars in revenue. You did a business with at least, you know, a certain margin to then be able to sustain the royalty revenues that we were going to take, right? For the franchisees. 
and still have a solid margin for an investor standpoint where their cash on cash investment makes sense. I need a business where they could get financing easily. I need a business that would thrive in the development space that I knew prospective business owners wanted to get into, that I wanted to get into. And finally, I needed a business that I believed in, right? That I felt good about. That was important as well, obviously. You know, I want to sell something that I believe is making a difference. And so after going through that checkbox and staring at it, I remember saying, Zach, that's a tall order. But we landed on the restoration space, the cleaning and the restoration space. And when I go back and I go through all of those checkboxes, it checks every single one. Number one, institutional investors in that space are flocking to it. It's an incredible space that's growing and there's lots of consolidation happening, but in the sense that because it's growing so much, PEs coming in and wanting to buy up companies. And so what I learned was private equity was super involved in the space, not just in franchising, but just in restoration in general. If you look at the average age of a home and you look at our infrastructure overall, homes, you know, when you think of a water incident, you know, there's 14,000 water issues a day, every single day. And the average ticket of a water, you know, incident is about $2,700, about $3,000 per incident. And so when I looked at that, you know, you don't realize that because you don't see it. If there's a fire, at least there's a fire truck and, you know, it's in front of you. But with a plumbing issue or a septic issue, someone's basement floods, that's not front and center to us, right? It's a thing that's happening every day, but people don't realize. And that was kind of interesting to me because, again, it was like the barrier of entry, the people getting into it were not like the most sophisticated. No offense to the hometown hero in a space that's doing well. But what I saw was that in restoration, there was still so much room. And I heard someone say on a podcast, something related to, if you look at the pizza industry, it was Michael Mudd who said it, it was brilliant when he said this, you know, you see a pizza business on every block of your neighborhood, right? And it makes sense because a lot of people eat pizza, right? There's a high demand for it. So of course, there's a lot of businesses in the space. And understanding that space is about a $50 billion industry, the pizza industry. And realizing that it's a quarter of the restoration industry, emergency services industry, and saying to myself, man, there's that much pizza business. Of course, there's a lot of restoration business, but there's a lot of market share. And that really started to click for me. And so when we decided on restoration, we also loved that it had you know a need in the sense of restoration is paid by insurance and you're not going to not do restoration. You're not going to like just leave your basement flooded, right? So that became super apparent to me. But what also became apparent to me was you do sometimes have to wait for that money. And so from a cash flow standpoint as a business, I had realized that from a cash flow standpoint, you're going to wait for this AR. And I didn't really want our franchisees to be in this AR waiting game, waiting for their money to come in from insurance or from property managers, et cetera. And so what I loved was as we looked for businesses, I found the company that we inevitably partnered up with, which by the way, as the time of this recording, we signed our agreement last night at 11.11, somehow, ironically, after a about 120-day deal cycle, right? So between the time of meeting, we met at least 15 times. I was back and forth to DC. I got to look back, but it was a lot of time, a lot of time together, our families and my team and just really making sure we aligned. But what I loved was that this business was doing cleaning and restoration. They started their roots. And I'll get into the story of the business when we launch. It's an incredible story of a founder that came here with nothing from another country, 
and built this business just over a decade, built it to a multi-million dollar empire, runs like clockwork, spends a couple hours a day running the business, and then he's managing his team. Beautiful lifestyle that him and his family have built through this company. And their obsession over the customer experience that they've bottled into a way that we can distribute across the country is just, it's unbelievable. But when we decided to partner and allow me to acquire the opportunity and become this franchise entity, I was fascinated by the fact that they had their roots in cleaning, cleaning, carpet cleaning, which if you look into that industry, there's not a tremendous amount of carpet cleaning franchises out there. What was interesting to me was, first of all, a little story about me. When I was 18 years old, I sold Kirby vacuums for a period of time. I went door to door selling the vacuum that cleaned carpets, kind of like a Stanley Steamer type of service. I would clean their carpet and hopefully get them to buy the vacuum. But what was fascinating to me was like, man, like what a weird feeling. Like I remember that business and saying to myself, like, it's a lot of money in this, in the actual carpet cleaning. And so anyway, fast forward, I never would have thought I'd be in the carpet cleaning business, but the more I learned about it, I mean, you think about a carpet, I'm looking at a carpet right now here at the studio. To clean it, you take it out. Sometimes you just do it there. Excuse me, you do it there. Unless it's really dirty, take it to the facility. Or if it's wet, you need to dry it through the air dryers. But anyway, you come here, you clean it with solution and the products that they have some proprietary. And then you leave. It's clean. Pretty simple, right? You don't need like a licensed person to do it. It's cleaning a carpet. Simple. Easy. And when I started to learn about the business, I'd sit in their office. First of all, the office doing, you know, millions of dollars in revenue was like quiet as a pin, organized because people would call in and say, I need my carpet clean. They'd take them through their sales process. They'd send their technician. They'd clean the carpet. They'd come back. Average job at like 580 a job. You know, in the item 19 will be into that. It's not an earnings claim. I'm not talking about a franchise that we're offering. I'm just talking about the business of what we're talking about here. But anyway, $580 average ticket on the cleaning, just the carpet cleaning. And the cost per acquisition was low. And I kept thinking like, man, you could do so many jobs a day with a truck and some equipment, some tools. It was like, just not to overly simplify it, but a very simple business that you could scale. And what I loved about the carpet cleaning was the fact that it cash flows. I mean, it's like you clean the carpet, you get paid, right? It's like that. And so what I loved was that opposed to other restoration franchises, you were able to get into cleaning while also doing the restoration, while you're building your restoration business, you had this root and cleaning. And to this day, that company has got that foundation of carpet, which is like a steady cash flow, while the restoration hits are all very large hits. And like it reminded me of my previous business where we had recurring revenue and hits of large revenue. And that was always, to me, what made that business appealing. You know, that combination of recurring and high ticket. And so that was something that really fascinated me, that a franchisee could have the carpet cleaning professional service while also doing restoration. And I'll get into the business about playbook today, but like I'll get into this business. I've never seen more five-star reviews on a home service business. I read every single review until like 3 a.m. one night and I was just smiling thinking these guys really did. They bottled the customer experience into a way that could be replicated across the country as with our franchisees. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button and make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. But what happened was we partnered up in the sense that we, you know, I acquired the company's franchise or, and, you know, we're working together in that capacity. But what I found was that founder and I shared like alarmingly similar core values to Zach. It was like very much like everyone's on the same page. And I look at it like they're like the Amazon of 
carpet and restoration. Excuse me, not just carpet. They also do all kinds of cleaning. I have a habit of saying carpet because it's what I did as a, as a teenager, but like cleaning and restoration. But it was interesting because I really felt like they were the Amazon of cleaning, meaning like Amazon's like early days. If you look at Jeff Bezos, his vision of obsessing over the customer experience is what I saw here. And one of my favorite CEOs is Tony Shea, who wrote Delivering Happiness. He's the CEO or was, he's passed, but was a CEO of Zappos.com and originally Link Exchange. And he had that same ethos of like obsessing over your customers. And I saw that in this company and I see that in what I want to do and what I've done in the past. And so we really aligned on that. So anyway, fast forward, that company became the first brand of Franchise Playbook. And we're actually in the middle of doing a tremendous rebrand. The company that we're using is incredible. Our CMO, Christian Bencourt, found them and it's just an incredible experience. They branded Target and things for Target and Lowe's and just extremely professional company that was able to take what our vision of this company was and turn it into a reality. And so we're in the middle of that rebrand and then rebranding the actual unit that's operating to go into the marketplace as that new company name, brand and logo, you know, and truck wrap. But as we build out our systems and operations and that brand, I found that we started to see an opportunity in cleaning and restoration from a branding standpoint that I think stands out in that space more than really anything. We went, while everyone has gone this way, we went you know, this way, in completely different direction and disrupting the, the marketing side and the lead generation side of the cleaning and restoration and, and really the branding side of that business. But anyway, at Franchise Playbook, what we're doing is we're taking this understanding of how to build a franchise development engine, understanding how people who are exploring a franchise think, the patterns that they have to buying a business and how to market to them to attract them into our opportunity while also making sure that they understand fully what it is that they're signing up for. I always joke when someone wants to work for me or partner with me that let's spend most of the time talking about why we shouldn't do this. I want you to feel like you shouldn't do this with me. You know, in the sense that you know all the negatives, you know all the potential pitfalls, you know all the, you know, things that could happen. And then if we sign, we know everything, right? The expectations were were aligned. And so as we built out and are currently building out our franchise development process, I knew that building a process that got people excited about the business, but understood the reality, not this idea that you're going to run the business for five hours a week. I don't want anyone coming to us thinking that. Someday you could run your business for five hours a week when it's up and running, you know, but not day one. And if your expectation is that, then we're not the business for you. And I don't think there's a business out there that that's true. I think you should run away when they say that, but maybe I'm wrong. But we wanted to create a development process where people could understand the pros and cons of owning this business. But at Playbook, what really we're doing that I think is a little bit unique is after my transition, I spent a good amount of time because I had nothing but time <laughs> because I wasn't working to read and to listen to podcasts. I didn't go to a top school. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm an obsessive learner, like a compulsion <laughs> with reading, a ferocious reader. I love to read. I love to listen to audiobooks. And so I got into the topic of private equity and I decided to teach myself everything I could. Obviously, I don't know anywhere near the professionals in private equity do, but I'm lucky to have some that are willing to teach me. But I taught myself and I continue to teach myself as much as I possibly can to understand the thinking and to understand 
how to run a business at a more sophisticated level, how to build enterprise value, not just cash flow, not just a business that's working well as a business operator, but also from an investor standpoint, how to mitigate risk, how to really just run a business that runs like a $100 million company, not a $10 million company, right? And so in learning that, I realized that those companies that are PE backed are amazing. Like they're run by the brightest of the bright. You think about someone that went in private equity, they didn't just go to Wharton or Harvard or Stanford. They, they're the top of their class in that school. It's incredibly smart. So what I decided to do is surround myself with people like that, which luckily in New York City, it's easier than you'd think to meet people outside of franchising, but that are in private equity or venture capital and start to learn how to think and how to plan and build a business with that mindset. But what I believe we're building at Playbook and what I want for my personal life is I want to build this platform, Franchise Playbook, and the companies that are in it for the long term. You go back to the Jeff Bezos example. Jeff Bezos used to have a lot of heat from his investors, from shareholders, because he used to put the long-term horizon beyond priority of shareholder today's returns. And I found that as I built this business, my ability to think much longer into the future, a time horizon at 10 or 20 years or even more, is allowing us to make decisions that I think in the long run, while the process may be a little bit harder in the beginning, believe in the long run, the investors, our franchisees, will see the best results. Things happen in life, so I won't say never, but very, very, very unlikely. I plan to build this company to pass on to my future family. I want this to be a generational company. I want it to be something that lives on and does and serves so many people because I was put on this planet, I believe, not to sound corny, but to help people become business owners. And now through our franchise playbook and the companies that are part of it, we have the ability to help people not only become a business owner, but succeed, thrive. Our mission at Playbook is to empower entrepreneurs to think bigger. And what that means is we're empowering the people that take the risk, that invest into our business and start their business. I want to help them think bigger, whether it's buying another truck, hiring that GM, putting some money into you know more marketing, growing the business to that next revenue milestone. The goal of our company is really to get people to think bigger and to grow their business. And so what I find that we're doing is I say like our only investor is our franchisees. And what I mean by that is the franchise fees that we're going to be collecting for the franchisees, our majority of it is going to stay in the company. And you never run a franchise with the goal of keeping the franchise fee. Like you're not living off franchise fees. But what I do think you're doing is you're taking franchise fees and reinvesting it into the company. You're being a good steward of their capital, right? When I look at a franchisee, I say this capital that you're providing, this franchise fee, not only provides training and support, but it's an investment you're making into the overall company to make it better. And that's what we're going to do with the capital, to make it better and reinvest it and grow it. And my team understands that this is a long-term horizon. This is not about growing a business tomorrow. I don't know why everyone's in a rush. I meet so many franchisors. Listen, I like to move fast. I'm aggressive. I am impatient. I admit that I want things to happen maybe faster than they do, but I accept that they don't. And I accept that the long-term horizon, thinking about where you can be in 10 years if you make the right moves now. You know, I look at people that I've you know worked with and, and I look at companies that have grown that thrive. You know, they thrive more 10 years later when that person was focused on the long-term, right? And not taking shortcuts. And so, 
know, we're really looking to build a platform that's independently held and basically able to do things maybe a little bit unconventional. Like some of the things I did already, we did already at Playbook is like a business book would tell me, no, don't do that. You can't do that. But the decisions were about what's going to thrive in the long run. Obviously, we have to get through our launch period and getting off the ground, but what will thrive in the long term? What path could be maybe a little bit harder for me or a little bit delayed gratification, but thrive in the long term? And examples of that are keeping our development in-house, developing ways to find candidates through platforms that I've never gone down, but now have, and I've begun to learn how to find candidates in an environment outside of the development community, which is a great community, but finding candidates in other areas that really, I don't think anyone's ever really tapped into from a franchisee finding marketing campaign. When it comes to operations from the playbook level down to the brands that we have in in this first brand now, it comes down to really systematizing the training into a way that's like so foolproof. I've heard David Barr say something along the lines of like, I don't know if it's his quote, but like systems, people don't fail, systems do. And if you want to be a franchisor, stop thinking about how are you going to find the A players, the best people, or oh, I got to get the best investors to buy my franchise. You should actually think, how can I make this system so simple that if anyone can run it, that the B and C players can be successful and then the A players will come and they'll do even better. And so what we have is this franchisee-focused ethos. But first, it's about like thinking about people don't fail, systems do. When people fail, don't blame them, train them, right? Like the idea is that how can we make this so simple that if you bought our franchise, you didn't have a telephone and you didn't have us, could you still be successful? Because the training was so robust, the LMS system learning management system was so easy to understand, so intuitive for you to educate yourself. Because a franchisor is a training and marketing facility. We're here to train people how to run a business in a remote market away from us, right? And help them market, take the marketing off their plate and take the sales off their plate as much as we can through a call center, lead generation, sales process, through helping them find employees, not by helping them hire employees, but helping them, guiding them on what to do with job ads and what to pay in a market and how to attract the right people and what to look for in hiring them and like the culture that you need to build and and all of these things. But we're here to basically train people how to run a cleaning and restoration business and help them market that business and get customers, get leads. And some of the things that Christian on our team is doing with the lead gen for the franchisees, I think again, not like to be overly optimistic, but I think what we're doing is really putting that part of the business on our plate as much as we humanly can. I know from my past experience being in lead generation, the more freedom you give to a new business owner in the lead generation, the more they're going to go out and kind of spin around. And that's not to put down anyone that's trying to do lead gen for their business on their own. But the reality is lead gen has a lot of people out there selling you ads and display and magazine and pay this and pay that. And it's very easy to burn a lot of money quickly. And then when it's time to put the money to the areas that actually do work, you're out of money. And so we want to help guide and ensure that that happens properly, that the marketing spend is done properly and on the right avenues that get an ROI and that's quantifiable. So we're taking so much of that off the plate of the franchisee so they don't have to think about it. My goal is that a franchisee doesn't think about when a lead comes in. Where'd the lead come from? Don't worry about it. Who called the lead? Don't worry about it. They got called. They got scheduled. We do an amazing job. All you got to do is get your technician to the job. That's it. 
you work on culture, vision, strategy, like getting your team in line, getting people the trucks out on time. And we'll focus on the marketing and the sales. We'll focus on training you. You want to bring your GM to training? We'll train. You have, you have to bring your GM to training. But you bring your GM to training, we'll train them. You know, we'll do everything as much as we can. And, you know, between our operations team and our future success coaches, as we onboard franchisees, you know, we're dedicated to taking as much as we can off the plate from a marketing and sales standpoint so that our franchisees can really focus on running the business. And a little bit more about Playbook. Really, like what I'm having fun with is I love sports. I'm a competitive person. And the idea of being a business athlete really is something I always think of. And at Playbook, like really what we're doing is we're putting together the systems that anticipate curveballs so that our franchisees don't have to do that either. Being an entrepreneur, you have to think about all the potential threats that are going to come out to you. That's why the success is so much lower, the success rate. But being a franchisee, you have someone that's already made the mistakes, created the system that works, and is now looking toward the future for the potential pitfalls or curveballs that they need to avoid. At Playbook, that's what I feel like we're doing at the brand level, what we'll do in the future at the Playbook level, because what we're doing is we're attracting and collecting is not the right word, but we're recruiting and bringing into the fold the brightest minds in franchising that we can possibly find. And we're finding founders of businesses that want to see their main business. Remember, we're not an FSO. We're not working with franchisors. We're acquiring businesses and incubating them, turning them into franchisors that we own and operate and taking them to the marketplace and bringing them from zero, you know, one unit basically to multiple units across the country. And really what I think is happening is we're learning how to brand home service businesses properly. We're learning how to brand them properly in a way that's consistent across the future brands and brand them in a way that's different. Like there's so many great home service brands. I'm not putting them down, but like there's a lot of cartoons and there's a lot of hero, the hero, you know, I've read Donald Miller's story brands too. It's an amazing book. I love the book, you know, the hero with the cape and the Superman. And those are great brands. They're really amazing. Like some of the most iconic brands in franchising have that branding. But when I look at the future and I look at how can we stand out, I think what we're doing in the branding side really does do that. So at Playbook, you know, we're a collection of bright minds. You know, we've got our Zach Nolte, our chief operating officer, Christian Bencourt, our, our chief marketing officer, and then Steve Miller and Frandev that I'm personally training. He's an incredible sales professional, collegiate athlete, med device background. If you could sell med device, I think you could sell anything, but med device background. He was a business owner. Yeah, you know, exited a business and he had a, immense passion for franchising. So we started working together in September and we've been training together for all that time. I've never seen anyone get hired and then just literally their job is to train. Like he's in his middle of a CFE. I've been training a person. I don't know if you know, but I've trained dozens and if not hundreds of franchise consultants. He's not a franchise consultant, but franchise development people. And so I taught Steve everything that I know because he was willing to learn. He was willing to put the time in. And I don't know many people that will immediately get their CFE and take the time to do it. But, you know, Steve was willing to do that. And that's something pretty cool on the Fran Dev side. Other than that, I'll also be handling some of my own Fran Dev because it's something I love. I love talking to business owners. If you listen to this, maybe in the future, we'll talk about our business and how we can work together. But right now, that's not the time. If you're listening to this and you've enjoyed, I appreciate you taking time to listen to me rambling on alone. I really just wanted to get the playbook story out there. 
it's something I love. Franchising is what I love. It's all I'll ever do. Helping people become business owners is my passion. And if you're listening to this and you enjoy our podcast, please do leave us a review. Five stars if you can. Like, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.